Yes, you may be seated. Good morning. Welcome home. Good to see all of you today. Thank you, those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for worshiping with us. If we haven't met, my name is Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor. Our, uh, our lead pastor, Kyle, is taking some time off today with his family. But uh, we're going to finish up our series today that's called One. One is a significant number in the Bible. There's a lot of things that the Bible tells us that there's one of. And today, our focus is going to be on one day. Now, if you think about your life and think about um, you know, good and bad things that have happened, there, you're, I know there are days where you can think about, I remember the day when this happened, right? I remember the day when I, the first time I asked Sarah to go get a Coke with me and hang out with me. I remember that day. And I remember, of course, the day we got married, the day that our, our three sons were born. Uh, but I also, there are also bad things that I remember and hard, and hard things. I remember the day that we found out my grandfather had died. He was the first of my four grandparents to die. I'd never experienced that before, and I remember that day well. Um, I remember the day that we found out that Sarah had had a miscarriage, one of the worst days in our marriage. I remember that day well. I remember the day when uh, our middle son, as an infant, was in the hospital, and the doctor was talking to us about possible leukemia. Praise God, it wasn't, but I remember that day well. And you have your own days that you remember. You say, man, I remember when that happened. Man, that was a great day, or man, that was an awful day. But the truth is, all of those days, all of those significant days put together pale in significance to the one day that we're going to talk about today. Because this day has eternal consequences. Now, I want to give you a heads up. Last week, we... um, Last week, I, I, I preached kind of a lighter message. We talked about some common differences between how men are wired and how women are wired, and it was kind of a lighter Father's Day message. Um, today is not that message. I'm uh, just going to give you a heads up. Today is a heavy message. Today, we're gonna, today is, is, is meaty. We're going to dig into a lot of scripture to some meat uh, of scripture, and we're going to walk through it together. And I'll just give you a heads up at the end of the message we're going to have an altar call, and we're going to invite you to come forward and maybe make some hard decisions about where you're at with God, or to come pray for somebody you know who is in that situation. So just a heads up, we're going to be looking, if you want to take your Bible or Bible app, turn to, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to give you a little bit of background on the city of Corinth. You know, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And um, some of their background is important to what we're going to talk about later, but Corinth was a, it was a, a city of great commerce and trade and sin, right? I mean, think about, you know, today we call, we call, uh, we call Vegas Sin City. Think Vegas times 10. I mean, the, the city of Corinth was just known for just anything you can imagine under the sun. It was rampant. In Corinth, in fact, there was a there was a Greek word that literally meant to act Corinthian, and they would use this to describe someone who lived just a completely sinful lifestyle, especially sexually. And so they that's kind of what they were known for. And so this utterly sinful pagan atmosphere, as you can imagine, it created a lot of opportunities for the church to shine the light of Jesus and to shine the light into this dark city. But it also created, this atmosphere also created a lot of challenges for the church. And the truth is the church, they had a lot, there was a lot of division within the church. Um, There was, there was a lot of unaddressed sin in the church. They had questions about 
marriage and food and worship and all kinds of theological questions. And so Paul is writing this letter, one, to address some of these issues, and two, to answer some of their questions. And the question that he's answering at the end of this letter is some questions that they have about resurrection. And so here's, what, here's how it goes. In, in chapter 15, the first eight verses or so, he kind of lays out the basic gospel, which is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12 disciples. Tells us that he appeared also to 500 other people, 500 other eyewitnesses. Now today, we look back at that passage and we use it as evidence that Jesus really did rise from, raise from the dead. But Paul doesn't seem to be using those facts that way because the people he's writing to, they already believe that Jesus rose to life. So he's not trying to prove anything to them. No, he's using those facts to address a question that's revealed in verse 12. And that, that question is this. If you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, why don't you believe that believers are going to be raised from the dead? Apparently, that was part of their theology in this church, that believers that were not going to be raised to life someday. And so Paul is addressing that question. Here's what he says, starting in verse 12. He says, tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? Right? If Jesus rose from the dead, you believe that. Why don't you believe that as believers, we're going to be raised to life someday? He says, for, this is an amazing statement. He says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And here's the amazing thing. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Paul is telling us here, he's telling us straight up. And anybody who reads this, anybody who sees this, Paul is saying, look, our whole faith, our whole theology, everything we believe as Christians centers on the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He says, you take that away and we are wasting our time. I think maybe that's why so many skeptics have spent so many times over the decades trying to prove the resurrection didn't really happen. Because Paul himself admits, you take that away and we're wasting our time. Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, that word but, that's a pretty good word. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen and hallelujah. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, and then this, he gets into kind of some deep theology here. He says, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. What's he mean by that? Well, he explains it a little bit. He says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, not me, but Adam, the first man, everyone, not that old, um, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. In other words, what he's saying is, because sin entered the human race through Adam, the first man, through one man, because sin entered the human race, now all of us are born into sin, so sin entered the world, entered the human race through one man, but in the same way, now salvation and new life enters the human race through one man, Jesus Christ, who took our sin upon himself, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. So just as sin entered the human race through one man, now salvation and new life and, yes, resurrected life 
enters the picture through one man, Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, but there is an order to this resurrection, right? God always has an order. God always has a plan. And here's the order, he says. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Jesus was raised first, he says. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So Jesus raised to life, he, he rose to life first. And when Jesus comes back, those who have died and are followers of Jesus, then they're going to be raised to new life. And he says, after that, the end will come. Life as we know it on this world will end. And he says, he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. And then he makes, well, he says this, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And then he makes this curious statement, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In other words, he says death hasn't been destroyed yet. Now, I know we might say, well, I thought Jesus, I thought he conquered death when he rose from the dead. Well, yeah, he conquered his own death when he rose from the dead. But our death is yet to be conquered. And the proof of that is the fact that all of us in this room, all of us watching online, all of us, unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. All right? We're all going to die. That's all I got. We're just missed. Thanks for coming today. Isn't that happy? Told you this was going to be a heavier message today. That's the truth. All of us, our physical bodies are breaking down. Every person hearing my voice right now, here or online, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to face death. It's the last enemy to be destroyed, Paul says. It hasn't been destroyed yet. Not for us. Not for us. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. So Paul's, his reasoning goes something like this. If we could sort of summarize what he's saying here. He's saying if Jesus conquered his own death by rising from the dead, then he will one day conquer our death by raising us from the dead. That's good news. Right now, death is the enemy. In fact, a lot of times, you know, when, when, when somebody close to us dies, we, we, we talk about death. We try to paint it as kind of this rosy, beautiful thing. And I, and I know our intentions are good because if you're a follower of Jesus, then yes, death is what ushers us into God's presence and we're going to worship Him forever and that's good. But death itself, no, the Bible says, it calls it an enemy, it's not rosy, it's not beautiful, it's not good. It's with us because sin entered the world. In that respect, there's nothing good about it. It is an enemy, but the good news is Jesus conquered his own death, and because of that, he's one day going to conquer ours. And the way he's going to do that is we're going to be raised to life. If we live this life following Jesus and we have died before he comes back, then when he comes back, we're going to be raised to new life. But that kind of leaves another question, doesn't it? What about those who are alive when Jesus comes back? Apparently, the Corinthians were wondering that too. Okay, if Jesus rose from the dead, if that means that we're all one day going to be raised to life, well, what about those who are alive when Jesus comes back? What do we do with that? Are we, are, do we miss out? Do we not get new life? Do we not get new bodies? Do we not get that transformation? 
Well, Paul goes on a little bit further down in the chapter, and he addresses that. He says, let me tell you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. In other words, there are some who will be alive when Jesus comes back, and they're not going to miss the boat either. They're going to be transformed as well. He says it'll happen in a moment. It'll happen in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. He's already established that. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, then this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Praise God and hallelujah. That's when Jesus will once and for all conquer our death. So Paul's saying transformation is coming for all of us when Jesus returns. Those who have died, those who are still alive, transformation is coming. And that transformation, it is total and it is complete. It's not just our souls or our spirits, it's our bodies as well. Because when sin entered the human race, it entered in death and it entered in our bodies breaking down. I saw something recently, it was talking about middle age and it said, uh, said, I'm not at the age where everything's breaking down yet, but I am at the age where the check engine lights are starting to come on. Happens, it's going to happen for all of us. The transformation that Paul is talking about will be complete and will even include new, glorified, resurrected bodies. We're not going to, sometimes we envision heaven, we envision, you know, sort of, you know, a bunch of disembodied spirits, you know, floating on the clouds, playing harps or something, I don't know. But no, we're going to have glorified, resurrected bodies. Now, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, some, you know, some smart aleck might, might think, well, when that happens, then, um, then I'll have hair again, but, you know, I, I think, what if I have the last laugh, and uh, this is actually the standard, and when that day comes, you're all going to be bald too. <laughs> yeah, won't that be funny? Where will we bald jokes be then? No, probably not. Transformation is coming. And it's coming when Jesus returns. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, he talks about he talks about the trumpet blowing, right? He talks about the last trumpet blowing. He's using military language there. Because what would happen is when a when a, a, a nation would conquer another nation or would conquer a city, then the king of the conquering nation would often ride into that city to sort of greet his new subjects, and trumpets would blast. And it would be sort of this, this big, glorious announcement that a conquering king had arrived on the scene. That's the language that Paul is using. So he's calling that image to mind in his readers, and he's saying there's a day coming when a conquering king is going to ride in, and the last enemy to be defeated will be defeated. And what is that? Remember, he told us it's death. 
Death will once again be conquered. Sin will, sin will be conquered. Satan will be conquered. Everything that stands against God in us will be conquered. And that's going to happen when this conquering king named Jesus returns. Right now it hurts. This day is coming, but right now it hurts. Right now death stings. Right now we grieve and we hurt and we mourn and we feel the sense of loss when a loved one dies. And even when it comes to our own death, many of us live in in anxiety and even fear of that. Right now it stings. But Paul says there is a day coming when that sting is going to go away because death is going to be conquered and we are going to be transformed. And that transformation will be brought to us by a triumphant, conquering king named Jesus Christ who took sin and death upon himself and defeated it when he rose from the dead. The big question for us, though, today is, what do we do with that? I mean, that's all kind of some heavy theology, and theology, we need to know theology, and we need to hear theology, but at some point, we've got to do something with it. We we don't just want empty knowledge up here. What do we do with this truth? What do we do with the knowledge that a day is coming, and Jesus is going to return, and death is going to be conquered once and for all? What do we do with that? Should we just walk around with our heads in the clouds, dreaming of some future that awaits us? No. Paul actually tells us at the very end of the chapter what to do with this. He says, so, that's a transition word. That means in light of what I've just said, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. In other words, the application of this, what we, what we should take away um, with this, is not that we need to go hide in a closet and try to figure out when and how it's all going to happen. Bible doesn't tell us that. When it talks about Jesus coming back, it doesn't say, go try to figure out how and when it's all going to go down. In fact, it really kind of says the opposite. Don't worry about how and when, just focus on the work God's given you to do. And part of that work is, is here. Be strong, be immovable, work enthusiastically for the Lord. Again, remember the context of the city of Corinth. In that context, in that pagan, godless, sinful context, it was vital that they be strong and immovable, that they stand firm. It was vital that they give themselves completely and always to the work of the Lord. It was vital that they remember that anything they do for the Lord is never useless. And in our increasingly godless culture today, it is just as important for us to remember that truth as well. What applied to them then applies to us today. 
fact, Paul in another place where Paul is talking about Jesus coming back again. These are, these are various verses from 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, therefore, that's another connecting word, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back one day, encourage one another. Build each other up. In light of the truth that Jesus is coming back, live at peace with each other, he says. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. In light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Be kind to one another. Be joyful always and pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Avoid every kind of evil. In other words, the truths that we believe as Christians ought to shape how we live ought to shape how we treat each other, how we love each other. Those truths ought to, ought to shape the choices that we make. And one of the very important truths that we believe is that one day Jesus is coming back and we will all stand before God. In fact, in the Nazarene Church, uh, in the Nazarene Church, we have 16 articles of faith, kind of our, kind of the essentials of our faith, and um, the last two are about this day when Jesus comes back and we all stand before God. And there's a statement that sort of summarizes those last two articles of faith, and it's this. Our Lord will return, the dead will be raised, and the final judgment will take place. If you want to read more about that, there's a big, long website here. You can take a picture of it and you can go look at it if you want. But this, this is the summary of those last two articles. Our Lord will return, the dead will be raised, and the final judgment will take place. That is an essential truth of who we are as Christians. And it ought to shape how we live, Paul says. Now, if you do read that, and even if you go read the more detailed stuff, you'll see there's no, uh, there's, there's no official position on things like the rapture or the tribulation or the Antichrist. If you've studied modern uh, end times theology, you're familiar with those terms. If not, it's, it, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. But there's no official position listed there on those things. And the reason for that is because those things are all debatable. Here are some things about the second coming that are not debatable. One, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. That's not debatable. Scripture is clear about that. This day that we're talking about today, it is coming. That's not debatable. Two, life as we know it will end. That's not debatable. Three, if you've been following Jesus into, in, in this life, you will follow him right into eternity and have eternal life with him. That's not debatable. But the flip side is also true. If you have lived this life separated from God, if you've made that choice, then you're going to spend eternity separated from God. That's not debatable. See, God doesn't, God doesn't send people to hell. Can, I, I'd like to get that phrase out of our vocabulary. For eternity, God simply gives us what we ourselves have chosen in this life. And when we choose in this life, a life with God, walking with God, trusting with God, having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when we choose that in this life, we receive that for eternity. But if in this life we have chosen to live our life apart from God, 
rejecting God, separated from God, then that's what we get for eternity. See, God doesn't force his way on anybody. He gives us free will. He gives us the right to choose. And by the way, not making a choice is still making a choice. We, we spent this weekend, um, we were in Kansas City. We got a hotel room up there, my family and I. And before we left, I, I told my two teenage boys, I said, if you guys don't want to sleep in the same bed together in the hotel, then you need to find the air mattress and the, and the pump. I figured that would motivate them. And so on our way up there, I'd noticed, I'd never, never realized, the, never saw the pump you know, packed or anything like that or the mattress. And, and I, I asked our oldest, Austin, I said, did you guys ever find the, the air mattress and the pump? And he goes, no, we didn't really make a decision on that. And I said, so you did make a decision on that. <laughs> because guess what? Y'all are sleeping in the same bed. Sometimes not making a decision is making a decision. The call to follow Jesus is clear. Will you follow him? Or will you not? It's not debatable. And the fifth thing that we can say with absolute certainty about this day is nobody knows when it's going to happen. I tell people all the time, if you're watching a show or you're reading a book and, and uh, somebody claims to have it all figured out, they know how and when it's all going to go down, turn the channel, put the book down, don't buy any more. Bible's clear. We don't know. It could happen 10 generations from now. I'll admit, every generation of the church has thought they were going to see the second coming. Even Paul, in fact, one of those verses we read a minute ago, he kind of sounds like he thought he would see the second coming. I, can, I acknowledge that. Maybe it'll be another ten generations. I don't know. It may be today. And what Jesus says whenever he's talking about, um, about this day, whenever he's talking about his return... The biggest thing that Jesus emphasizes to us is be ready. The day is coming. We don't know when. But when it comes, life as we know it is over and we all stand before God. And so Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Because those who have chosen in this life a relationship with God are going to enjoy a relationship with Him for eternity. But if you've rejected that relationship in this life, you will be separated from Him for eternity. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I don't, I'm not a fan of scare tactics, trying to scare people into the kingdom. But we can't ignore this truth either. Because the Bible's clear. The day is coming, and we don't know when, and we need to be ready. So I told you that we would, uh, we would have an altar call today and ask our musicians to come. And so I want to invite you today, first of all, um, today's the day of salvation. 
Is there somebody in this room? Is there somebody watching online? And you've been holding God at a distance. You've been rejecting Him. You've refused a relationship with Him. Today is the day of salvation. Make that decision today. To follow Him today, and you will follow Him right into eternity. But there's probably also a crowd here or watching online. There's probably somebody. You've made the decision. You've kind of made the decision. You believe in Jesus. You're kind of following him, but you kind of have one foot in the door, and you still have another foot out here because maybe there's some things over here you don't want to give up. And yeah, you kind of believe, but you're not really all in. There's a verse in Revelation where Jesus tells a church, He says, you're on the fence. You won't make up your mind. He says, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor you're cold. And then he makes this statement that I don't even like repeating, but it's there in Scripture. We can't ignore it. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Make a decision. Surrender completely to what God has for you. Eternity is at stake. Will you make the decision today to be all in, fully committed to the conqueror who took your sin upon himself in his grace and his mercy and then rose triumphantly on the third day? Will you give your heart and give your life completely to him today? And then the third thing I'm going to say, and then we'll sing. Maybe neither one of those describes you, but you know somebody, all of us know somebody who is not right with God. Would you consider coming forward today to pray for them or to go to our prodigal prodigal boards? We have these boards on the wall here where we've written the names of people we know who don't know Jesus and need a spiritual breakthrough in their lives. Maybe you can come pray over those boards. The day is coming. Let's be ready. Stand with us.